Hello and welcome to Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. As the Ukraine war continues, the business of farming continues in the Ukraine wherever it can. However, the consequences will be lower production and this will be felt across the world for many years. Farmers across the rest of the world will continue to produce food and try to bridge this production gap. Eastern Europe continues to be a powerhouse for grain production and a major export for the rest of the world and especially into Northern Africa. We'll return to Romania in the podcast to chat to Jim McCarthy about how the conflict is affecting his business and also how his crops are looking in the run into harvest. If you remember the last time we spoke to Jim, he was helping refugees freeing from the conflict and housing people both in the short and the long term. Jim, you're very welcome back to the podcast. Jim, the last time we spoke, you were putting in a huge effort into helping people at the border and also housing people both in the short and long term. How are your efforts going at the moment, helping people fleeing from the conflict? Credit where credit is due, the Romanian government did a wonderful job. The present prime minister of Romania is actually an ex-army officer, and he was the only non-American to lead the American troops in Afghanistan. And he's a very capable guy and a brilliant organizer. And, you know, the days I, uh, the days after I was speaking to you, they re- the state really kicked in here. And at our border crossing in Siret, they just put in they put in a, a small city, a tent city, uh, for food, reception, where people could rest, beds. And they speeded up the whole process of crossing the border and moving people on. And so people like us, our contribution was greatly reduced from then on. We still have our people, uh, our people who have hearing difficulties and that with us, but slowly they're leaving us. For instance, six of them are going early next week to, to the the hearing society in in uh, in Switzerland are taking six of them. They've got accommodation and jobs in Switzerland, and again it's in a supported situation. And three more of them look like they're getting a job here in Badashan in town. So. You know, they're reducing down. So it's good, you know. The, the, the flow of people has 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 re- really reduced greatly. They're, we don't have number. In fact, the fact there's people going back to Western Ukraine more and more. But like the, 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 now with the offensive in the, these days in the East, I think we could see more coming back again and going, you know, because it is really ramping up hmm. in the East. It's really ramping up in the East. And in terms, Jim, of, uh, I suppose you're not, obviously not far away from the border. Are, are there lots of, Ukrainians locally that, who are thinking about going back, but are going to stop fairly close to the border and you know go back no, then when no, they can. There are, yes, there are quite a few, but there's a lot of people have gone back. A lot of people have gone to jobs in northern and western Europe have moved out here because you know we're only fifty kilometers here where, I, where I'm sitting now in my office to the Moldova border and the eastern part of Moldova. It looks like the Russians are going to invade that as well, Transnistria, where the Russians already have an enclave. Um, and have soldiers there already. Um, so people are just a bit nervous, you know. Want to, you know, having been through what they've been through, they want to move a bit further away from it. Sure. You know, they have, not that many people are settled in this area. Yeah. Okay. So they need to get a little bit further away, as you say, maybe. Yeah. And we yeah. we talked we talked before then, just as, as regards talking about moving. Um, you said that the, the, there was maybe a start, I suppose, of maybe a little bit of Ukrainian grain moving across the border into Romania and, and back out to ports. Is that happening at all to any significance? It, 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 it is, Michael. There is a bit, but not a huge amount, quite a bit going into Europe. Um, 
but it's only opening up now because the Ukrainians have, you know, rightly so, have been very concerned up to now about how much would be seeded and what would be seeded. So they were, they, they, exports were banned, but they're freeing it up a bit now. The problem of going through of the Ukrainian grain going, to, going through Constanta, and it's fine for now until harvest, is that because Romanian agriculture is developing so quickly, the yields are ramping up each year. And a lot of the time, Constanta is flooded with Romanian grain and grain that's coming down, down the Danube in barges from the lakes of Hungary and places like that as well. So already at, at times of the year, Constanta was very stretched. Um, now it's okay now at the moment because, you know, the, I mean, for instance, we're cleaned out of grain um, and, and most people are now cleaned out because, you know, the demand is just such that away we go. And but, just, to remind, you know, just to remind everyone, Constanta is a, is a port on the Black Sea. On the Black Sea. It's the most... In Romania, it's the most southerly port. It's a port in the Black Sea. It's very much in the south of the Black Sea. There's only places like Varna in northern Bulgaria, south of it, and on the Black Sea. Okay. So the other ports, a very important, a very important port, and and there's quite a bit of um, competition between Constanta and Rotterdam, because you know ships coming from Asia coming into Constanta, you know, save a huge amount of journey. It's not that far from the Suez Canal up into okay. Constanta and then go, going by barge up the Danube or by trucking, but a lot of stuff going up by, by barge up the Danube. And so the, the, the Dutch aren't that excited about Constanta. Okay. Okay. Competition. Competition is a great thing and a terrible thing, I suppose. It depends which side of the oh, fence absolutely. you're on. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, speaking of speaking of, you mentioned there the you uh, the Ukrainian plantings. Have you heard anything about that? How how are they getting on, or is is there much done? It's two stories. In the occupied areas, there's literally nothing happening, and in the occupied areas, Russia, it's it's, it's very unpleasant. And um, you you for instance, um, just two days ago, a city in in um, in Siberia. Um, Krasno Garash in, in the, they voted at their parliament meeting at the ministerial meeting that they would commandeer all the grain out of Kershaw because there's huge parts of Russia because very short of vegetables and grain and so it's just it's state state robbery and you know stealing food from an occupied area Michael, is a war crime believe it or mm-hmm. not that's what they're doing and then and destroying do, do, would you have an idea about what size of the grain production would be involved in that where there's really nothing happening in comparison to the normal planted area? 10, 10 15% of the Ukraine affected this way. But the other thing that's happening, Michael, in the remaining part of, of, of Ukraine, the general belief is that about 70% will be seeded. Um, the maybe 80 percent but then the they're they they've had enough fuel for seeding they're okay for seed some inputs not okay um but the major concern now is diesel okay because 60 percent of ukraine's diesel came from russia or belarus which will not now be happening 15 percent they produce themselves that's all going to the war effort 
and the rest came from Western Europe. And like one of the estimates for the unoccupied areas a friend of mine did was that they would need that because the Russians are bombing the train infrastructure and the oil depots, they're destroying the infrastructure everywhere. They know now they can't take from Ukraine, so they're just going to destroy it instead. And they're destroying the infrastructure. And, and the guys, they reckon now in the unoccupied areas that they need about 25,000 truckloads of diesel, Arctic trucks of diesel to do the harvest. And the logistics around that are staggering, Michael, if you think about that. So, so you know, and think of this, Michael, that harvest, wheat harvest in southern Ukraine will start at the start of July. Mm. Yeah, it's, know, not so, it's not it's really not so that far that's, away that's and, and the other thing as well Michael that the, the the rotation is changing everybody has cut back greatly on corn because of the tons that have to be shifted um, like the few of the people I'm in contact with have reintroduced soybean they've held this, this, the sunflower hectares they've introduced spring barley, malting barley and some spring wheat and okay. they have halved their beet hectares because, again, the worries about having it processed is, is, a, is a big issue. So, and I so, suppose which, whichever way it goes, there's going to be an awful lot less tons coming out of the country, even if. Well, we I think grain maize, maize will be the big one. There were big exporters of grain maize, and that is definitely that. And, and the other thing is, Michael, in Ukraine and, and here, you know, we have beautiful maize crops. They really are beautiful. But we don't have a big water reserve, and we need. Because we don't have that reserve, we need good, good summer rainfall to produce a, good, a reasonably good harvest. And, you know, we, we have nothing to spare now in the tank at the moment. And that goes yeah. right through all southern Ukraine. It's been very, very dry. You know, so in, in the ideal world, you need 600 millimetres of rain to grow a really good corn crop. The average rainfall from the beginning of from May, Ju- June, July and August is about 300 millimetres. Uh, we need 600 millimetres for a really good crop, okay. a really bumper crop of corn. And so we have nothing in the tank. So, you know, at best, there'll be an average corn crop. So there's going to be feed wheat prices and corn maize prices will be very strong because, you know, the production won't be there. Yeah. And just maybe just a final word, maybe on the Ukraine. Did you hear much at all? There's certainly um, bits and pieces that... That you see kind of coming coming across this side of the world uh, about you know looting and I know you talked about looting of of, of grain but machinery and infrastructure being oh, yeah. destroyed is that very significant? Huge. Michael, not alone are they taking that oh absolutely they're, they're, I mean there's there's one a whole new silo complex in one town in the occupied area it built in 2020 they just bombed it out because they looted everything and they just bombed it out. Mm. They, they, they can't hold it. They know they won't hold it. And so the stealing of machinery. I mean, Michael, these guys are even stripping out nice houses, stripping the stuff out and mo- moving it up to Belarus to move it home after the war. Oh, Jesus, right. They're even stripping out houses, Michael, you know. Um, as, as one old man said to me recently, who lived through the Second World War, he said, when the Germans came, we had the German first, he said. The Germans, yes, t- took our livestock, he said, but they took the fat pigs and the, you know any fat cattle or anything, but they didn't kill the breeding stock. The Russians took everything. They just took everything. I mean, R- Romania had an enormous famine in ni- 1946 after the 
after the Sec Second World War because everything was taken. Literally everything was taken. And if they didn't take it, they killed it. Right. You know? right. So, and it's the same as happening again. Sadly, history repeats itself. It is very disturbing, very disturbing stuff. Yeah. Really oh, it's very, the farmers in the east of Ukraine, this is devastating. Yeah. It's absolutely devastating. This is just beyond belief. Like they, they're, they're now in, 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 in Luhansk, you know, it's called LPR now, Luhansk People's Republic. It's run by a puppet Russian government. They're now demanding the farmers to start seeding and they're telling them we will give you fuel and we will give you seed if you don't have it. And they're kind of saying, and we will pay you something for the crop. And if you don't want to do this, we put you in jail. It gets worse and worse, so it was cranky. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Michael, this is people just don't realize it, you know. Yeah. So any, any any sympathizers who want to sympathize with Mr. Putin or anything else who really want to spend the month in the occupied territories of Russia or of Ukraine to know what the Russians are really like. So, yeah, uh, we might maybe move back to your own farm to see whether there's any good news there because there's certainly not, not one screen of good news at all coming out of Ukraine and certainly our hearts will go out to everybody who's involved or caught up in it in any way at all. Um. Maybe back in your own farm, Jim, how are how are your own crops as well? Have you got everything in the ground and uh, are, are they all looking well? We, we we got a beautiful spring weather for seeding. We've really got a great... We got the beet seeded in the three, four days, five days in kind of 26, 7, 8 March. And I we probably have the most uniform emergence of sugar beet we've ever had. We, we seem to have 100,000 plants per hectare, 40,000 acre everywhere. And and it's making great progress. And the weather has really suited us because we haven't had too much wind. We can get harsh weather in late in mid-April, late April, very often, which when the beet will be emerging, we haven't had this shit. So the beet is really motoring on and looking looking very well. And then, unlike most people, we didn't see their soybean. Um, and we started when we just over five degrees soil temperature at the start of April, we seeded the soybean. Um, we have nine, 1,900 hectares of conventional soybean and, and 500 hectares of organic soybean. And it, that's all emerged now and it's looking really well. Um, and then we went on to the corn and we were able to seed because of having large seeders in, in 14 days, we seeded four and a half thousand hectares of grain maize. Um, wow. And, and what was really lovely for the lads this year, being an Orthodox country, the Orthodox Easter was a week after the Easter you and I are familiar with. We were actually able to close down for Easter. And then after Easter, we started seeding the sunflowers. And that was great. And we we're just tidying up bits and pieces of sunflowers now and the first of sunflowers emerged because they emerged very quickly. They're very vibrant and very active growers. Okay, and and maybe you might just stick with the sunflowers there for a second as, you, as you're talking about them, because I know you mentioned the last time around that you were yet forward sold some sunflowers at an incredible price. It's probably gone up since I don't know, but um, but yeah. you were considering planting more sunflowers this year than maybe you normally would have done. Um, did that did that happen? Yeah, we we we've up we've up to sunflower hectares, um, and you know there's been we continuously have new land coming in. That's all gone to sunflowers, um. We to reseed a few pieces of rape land that's gone to sunflowers. We reduced down second corns a bit, uh, and that's gone to sunflowers. So, you know, we we have um, about two and a half thousand hectares of sunflowers, um, and 
again because you know they don't require a lot of fertilizer michael you okay. know at present prices a three ton crop of sunflowers is enormously profitable um and and basically you know you you need to to apply very little p and k um to get to get that yield you need very very like if, if you are you remove with your crop of sunflowers three ton crop of sunflowers from the field you remove 80 kilos of n now if you take into account for each one percent organic matter you have you'll get 20 22 kilos of n hmm. free then you have apply very little nitrogen um I think the sunflower's biggest enemy is big fertility because you'll get diseases, early diseases. It, it's a scavenging crop. It likes to fend for itself. And, and you know, there are, I have inquiries from people in Ireland wanting to grow sunflower. Um, I think actually people should look a lot more seriously at growing soybean in Ireland. I think there's a, a really a good opening for it, particularly in the southern half of the country, because I think you can seed it a lot earlier than the pieces that were seeded. Uh, it will take a bit more hardship maybe than people realize. But the sunflowers, Michael, you know, if you've got some light land facing south, very little fertility, and, and, and there's quite a variation in the days to maturity. Syngenta have a huge breeding program in Europe. They, they have a fantastic facility outside Seville because Seville gets 3,000 hours sunshine a year. Um, so they're breeding all the time around in glass houses there. Uh, and... and um, and, and Jim, just on on the varieties part of it, is there is there varieties that are specifically suited to your latitude, I suppose, and 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 climate that you have there? Maybe in comparison, to something might be maybe a bit further north, maybe to or south to you. Exactly, and and it might look, like like wheat, they have better resistance. Like if you're going to go, for instance, a, a, a German friend of mine now, who five years ago wouldn't even consider growing sunflowers. Is putting in 250 hectares, not far from Berlin, okay. and it's moving north because of that. And and as you move north, you just need better disease resistance, you know. Okay. Okay. Steratinia and then botrytis and that, and and you know, we will spray once for disease. Um, most farmers here will not spray for disease, and the big big thing is like growing wheat at home, Michael. If you're going to be in a high-pressure disease area, you put a cheap fungicide out, you five or six leaves, and then just at the bottom stage when the flower is about to appear, you put on a strabiliran and away you go. That's it, you know. Actually, just outside Oak Park this year, we had uh, a farmer next door had sunflowers. Now, it wasn't necessarily for combining. It was for, um, I suppose, a, a, a almost like a tourist trap in terms of selling it and that. But in fairness, they... They grow reasonably, grew reasonably well. Um, now the, I suppose the only thing, and I might ask you about the herbicides, is that the variety or the, I don't think there's a herbicide cleared for use in Ireland, just as it happens, because it's not really a crop. But what sort of herbicides do you use across on, on, on your crops? There's basically two types available. We, you can spray with a Mazdamox. Okay. And, but we're growing all express Um which was, you can spray with tribinuran methyl because it's much the imazimox really has an accumulative effect in the land it's very hard in the subsequent wheat crops and because we're moving moving more and more to no-till with mesometrione and maize and imazimox in sunflower we've taken out and so we're growing the 
the um so they're als tolerance uh crops basically yeah yeah, yeah. very good and, and, and sulfonuria is i suppose for, for people listening yeah, so yeah likes exactly of, likes of your, and, and your tibenron is uh tibenron is cameo i think is it or is it harmony i can't remember which but um yeah fair enough okay and and then the, the other thing michael that you know the sunflowers um we've moved we've moved everything to 20 inch 20 500 millimeter 20 inch rows they like that they like to be evenly spaced so we've even cut back our, our seeding rate uh, all the books tell you here 60,000 we've cut back to 55,000 plants this year okay i would think in ireland you would go back to 50,000 to let the air in around them and keep them healthy and not dense uh, if you have to put some nitrogen on it is to use liquid uan as late as you can travel they don't you just keep the nutrition away from them they their biggest enemy is a big lush early growth it's singly their biggest enemy um just in terms of you mentioned organic a little bit earlier there as regards um that you have a, you, i can't remember what figure you said but i think you've you, you have a good bit of organic in 500 hectares of organic um soya i think you said in yeah exactly we, we grow 1800 hectares one of our companies, Multiagra, in one area is is an organic farm, uh, and we have 1,800 hectares. But we have a big question mark over it, Michael, because of the soil degradation from the continuous hoeing. Sure. I mean, we have we have four hoes going night and day now, trying to keep down the weeds, and that's fine until we get a big down tunnel down downpour, something in the soil washed all over the place, and and our fossils levels are being decimated, and our weed bank is building up. The other question I suppose I had was given the cost of, you know, grain at the moment or food, I suppose, in, in, in particular at the moment, have you noticed any difference in terms of demand for some of the organic produce or is it that a little bit early along the, along this, this, this chain? Do you well, think? No, 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 because we would be selling organic stuff kind of from February on, selling it forward. And um, in COVID, there was quite a surge in demand for organic because people couldn't go out to dine. So they shop more for organic. They said, okay, we'll treat ourselves to some organic produce. Now with prices increasing, that has ceased. For for instance, the we grow a lot of spelt wheat and we have we have natural land registry from Germany. But we've been told that as of December 31st this year, we will no longer get natural land registration for our spelt wheat because there would be no spelt wheat in Germany grown organically. So okay. it would be inorganic. And this is the nonsense that goes on in the whole organic world. There's about six different agencies. We're a credit for Bio Swiss, Naturland, um, Austrian Bio, Bioland, Bio Hoff, one after another, and the Americans have another system, all with different rules, all with different interpretations. But the guys who mainly buy our soybean, and now running around everywhere trying to buy soybean, there's a big surge in organic soybean prices because there was quite a lot produced in the Ukraine, which is not available. So now they're off in dearly beloved Africa trying to source organic soybean from Africa. Africa. That's nice. really environmentally friendly. Calling, right? The other thing, Michael, that the, <clears throat> the organic soybean was on a roll anyway, because the northern countries, Denmark and Sweden, and particularly Sweden, had said to their dairy farmers, you have until 2024 or 2025 to source your protein for your animal feed in Europe. Because believe it or not, 
the main source of organic soybean meal in Europe is from China. Okay, didn't know that. Well, there you go. And it comes via, it comes from Africa to China. It lands in the dock and through some magical process, it becomes organic soybean. I can, and it comes I can sense a bit of cynicism there, Jim, so I can. <laughs> uh, well, this is, this is exactly the point uh, I'm making. So the, the Swedish government and the Danish government said, guys, it's over now because they're just seeing so much nonsense with the samples they're testing and they have to source their thing. I mean, I, the, one of the biggest soybean buyers in organic, I had a meeting with him in May last year, and he said to me, by mid 20s, Soy, organic soybean meal will be a thousand euros a ton, let alone the soybean, trying to keep me in the in the production because you know growing organic soybeans isn't easy, Michael. You know, trying to, as you yeah. well know, growing beans in Ireland, trying to keep the weeds out of them. We try and grow organic soybeans, and we grow a lot of linseed as well, trying to keep the weeds out. It's a nightmare. I would think, I suppose, on the other side of it, given the fact that um, we, unless it's going into human diets, that if that's going into an animal diet. And can you think that's going to become uneconomic for anybody to grow to, to, to even feed it? Never mind grow it in a different in a different. Well, well, well Michael, for the for the average person, food inflation is a very serious issue at the moment. It is a very serious, and and this problem isn't going away anytime soon, Michael, because we're depending on that fertilizer nitrogen. The environmentalist environmental lobby just failed to realize, without artificial nitrogen, we will struggle to feed four billion people in this planet. We now have almost eight. So you can forget about this fallacy that we can farm the world organically and feed the world. We can't. Organic farming is beautiful for rich people. It's beautiful. But if you're like here, if you live, you're an elderly couple living here in Northeast Romania and you'll, you, you'll, you'll have 250 euros a month pension with the same energy costs as in Ireland. Food inflation is very different if you're living in Berlin and have a very smart job with an IT company. And food inflation, Michael, is a serious issue. No, and sure. just fertilizer, Michael, the fer- if we take out the Ukraine war and the Russian war, let, ever before that happened, fertilizer was a huge issue. The, pri- the issue wasn't price, Michael. The issue was supply. Yeah. And that supply issue has only got worse. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Because, you know, nitrogen is ammonia and the cost of gas at the moment um and 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 what's happening in the ukraine from people i speak to there and what's happening here is we're all moving away from high demand nitrogen crops it's uh and 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 that to a degree is the high demand ones the likes of maize as you were saying before they, they produce the big yields the big tons they yeah are, yeah and that's, need that's big the big energy i suppose really to yeah. Agree. yeah and like and wheat, wheat michael you know you, you can't get get protein in your wheat without a certain level of nitrogen after all, what is protein? And so, you know, we're already preparing ourselves for low proteins in our wheat. Which feeds into the price, I, I, I suppose, in terms of the the the, the quality wheat. They're, they're, everyone's looking for the 13, 14% quality wheat. So it all feeds all feeds in. It's a, it's a vicious circle, this almost, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, Mike. And so, I, I, you know, the, the I think the thing, the, the farmer listeners, you know, is not one to scare people, but, you know, I would say to anybody, go and get yourself some good leguminous cover crops. The minute you harvest, I'd be putting in, I'd be trying to grow as much of my own nitrogen as possible. Hmm. Um, and I would, you know, to go, go stop plowing and go to Mint Hill, preserve what you've got. Um, 
because this is this is a problem that's going to be with us for a while. This is going to be a problem that's going to be with us for for a while, and so we got to grow more of our own nitrogen, and and we've got to start sourcing it and supply and demand. And they have no doubt, Michael, there's been some eye gouging with fertilizer pricing. That's human nature, you know. Sure. There's a, a big price going in your stocks when you you wait for the big price. But it, this, the, you know, we we were trying to buy. We'll start seeding uh, about the 10th of August seeding rate, and we've been trying to source DAP for that, and and our importer and supplier, you know, they've got 6,000 ton consignment of DAP coming in, but it's, it, they're quoting 1,180 euros a ton. Ouch. And I think it's, I, I really don't think we have any choice, but suck it up and see. A bit up and see where you go, yeah. And and maybe we might finish off, if we can, on maybe a positive note. In, in terms of the grain markets, Jim, where do you... Where do you see those going? Certainly not going back, but is there? Have we reached nearly the heights of it, or do you think it'll go further? Feed wheat competes with grain maize, and you know, feed wheat compete, which is one of the big crops at home, and, and barley. Oh, very strong prices, very very strong prices, because the, you know the just the supply won't be there because of the war, and because of it just it won't be a spectacularly good. Uh, harvest in this part of the world and it's all exported it goes down into the, the Middle East and it goes up into Northern Europe and it just won't be there the tons won't be there so like it's a you know if you can manage your fertilizer and if you've if you've you know built up your fertility over the years you can pull back a bit now and use a bit more judiciously in your peas and, and maybe not so much your case maybe more straw chopping but you know there's a few good years ahead for tillage farmers because of high prices, because you know we've good prices cover paper over a lot of cracks, and if we can maintain the good yields, you know, and crops look very good at home this spring. Um, so, you know, it's it's onwards and upwards, but we've got to be really cognizant that fertilizer is going to be an issue and it's not going away, and you need to send your merchant a, a nice present and say, here, I'm your newest best friend, and we. <laughs> you need to do a deal and you need to guarantee me supply and that's the thing is guarantee of supply guarantee of supply yeah well look i mean that's that that's a great positive note to, to, to finish on i suppose too that 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 there's lots of positivity in it for fertility farmers for the future and, and i think your other message there you had at the end is try and grow your own uh, or as much of your own nitrogen as you can with some of these leguminous cover crops i think that's it's probably a good um a good thing to be thrown in if you can as well oh absolutely i mean because winter barley should all be cover crop with, with as much legume as we can. And the other thing, Michael, I would say to people, there's huge results from treating this, if you're putting peas and different vetches and that in your into your cover crop mix, you would be very well paid for spray, using an inoculant. The amount of nodulation you'll get, the, we, we use a very cheap um, inoculant here for the sun, so, soybean. And if you use that on your legumes, you'll get a huge increase nitrogen fixation and adulation huge and it will pay you very very well at the present price for nitrogen that's a, it's a certainly one one for, for everyone to look into as well jim yeah. you're very good you're, you're always a mind of information it's brilliant to have somebody uh, i suppose the correspondent from romania or the eastern europe i think it's brilliant that to, to get your insights every time we're chatting to you and look thank you very much again and 
hopefully we'll touch base again maybe um, through the middle of the summer to see how you're getting on. Great, Mike. Thank you. So that's all we've time for. And my thanks to Jim for joining me today on the podcast. As always, if you have a suggestion or topic you'd like to hear more about, drop me an email at michael.hennessy at chagas.ie or on Twitter at chagascross. Finally, don't forget, if you enjoyed this podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.